Lord, your name is powerful this morning. As we come before your very throne in this place, Lord, we ask that your presence would permeate even the, the deepest places of our heart and our mind. But Lord, we know that everything in our life is just exposed before you, God. Lord, there's nothing that we deal with or go through that you're not a caring father who is concerned and wants to touch us in every single area. Lord, I pray this morning as the word is shared that, that our hearts would not only be challenged, but Lord, that our hearts would be ministered to and comforted, that you would bring a spirit of healing within this service today, I pray. Lord, I pray that wounds that have been inflicted upon your people would be healed this morning. There would be a transformation of lives even before this service is over. Thank you for the hope that you give. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you this morning. You may be seated. It's so good to have you here today. We welcome you, especially if you're a first-time visitor. I know that we have... Uh, lots of people during the summer that are gone, but if you're visiting for the first time, we welcome you to Banner Church. It's just so great to have you here. Uh, I want to just thank you. I know that many of you have come up and said, hey, I'm praying for your dad. Uh, we were I was gone last Sunday. I was in the hospital literally every day for seven days, and my dad went through two surgeries in 48 hours, and um, just it was really hard for him. I'm 81 years old, perfectly healthy, doesn't take any medications, and he came into the hospital just kind of really shell-shocked by the whole experience. He's never been anything quite like that. He's in a rehab center now. The doctors are cautiously optimistic that he'll walk again and get his movement back, but it's just going to be a long road. So, but thank you so much uh, just for lifting him up, and we're just praying for a full recovery for him, uh, even though it's been difficult. I also want to mention, too, that at the church, they're just, they're going to finish up the drywall tomorrow. They're going to start taping and texturing the walls on Tuesday. Uh, we're, we're getting ready to tear down those three walls where the expansion is and put a roof on that. So we're getting closer every week uh, to getting the building done. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, Jensen this week found a super deal on eBay for a, an espresso machine for a coffee shop and purchased it. <laughs> so we're going to have the official even in our coffee shop. It's going to be set up. It's going to be so cool. And, uh, but we're really thrilled about uh, the progress that we're making. Uh, but I want to say thank you for the sacrifices you're making, especially our team that comes early in the morning uh, and sets everything up here. It's a lot of work to set up, break it down, and it's, it's not a perfect scenario with, uh, with our band and our team and all that, but we're just really grateful for those who are just serving in, in so many different ways, and thank you for your patience as we worship. I tell you what's most important is just the presence of God, amen? It's just that we have the presence of God in any place that we meet. I've been a part of... Um, not a part, but I have visited underground churches in closed countries uh, where it's against the law to preach the gospel and going into secret dark rooms, so to speak, in the underground church and, and sensing and experiencing the presence and the power of God even in those remote places of the world where it's literally forbidden to preach about Jesus, but yet the power of God being manifested in those scenarios is so powerful. And so when we come together like this, we know that Jesus is here. And that's the most important thing, amen, this morning. I want to start a new series this morning. And uh, Josh and I are excited about this. You can kind of see a picture here on the screen. And I really like, uh, Josh, did you do that? That's awesome. I like what you did there. 
um, of Love This Town. And as we're preparing the church and really preparing our hearts to go into this area where we know that God has called us into this area of the marketplace in Old Town, we want to talk about in these coming weeks in this series about what it is to love the town. And really, that's the first core value of our church. You think about it. I mean, our mission statement is love, disciples, send. But, but love is really the essence of the church. The Bible says God is love. I mean, you don't know what God is like. He's love in every way. And we want to get to a place where as we prepare ourselves to go into this area of the city especially, that we really understand what it is to, to love the people of this community. And that's what I want to speak about. I also wanted to mention, uh, I think um, that we, I want to mention this next Sunday, we're going to be in the, the park on Indian Bend in Scottsdale Road. We're going to have a, a, a barbecue and we're going to meet together next Sunday, you know? The third. The, the third, third, September 3rd. Two, two weeks, I'm sorry. I don't want to get that, I just want to mention that. In two weeks, mark your calendar, Labor Day weekend in two weeks, okay, to mark that down. And it's going to be a, a Sunday where we, again, in the community, we want you to invite people. We want to just, the church to get out of the four walls, and we're going to be a part of that in two weeks on that Labor Day weekend. If you're not going to be out of town Labor Day weekend, be sure and schedule that. It's going to be on Sunday. We'll, get, we'll send out more details to you and that, what's going to happen with that. But mark your calendar for that Sunday. It's going to be a place where we can really love people, Amen. As we're going to do that. I remember um, my second date with Bridget and understanding that I was, you know, on my way to leave the country and somebody introduced me to her and I thought, you know, I don't know if anything's going to come out of this. I'm getting literally ready to leave the country again for another assignment. And after um, the first date, I thought, hmm, I really like this girl. I want to go out again with her. And we met at the old spaghetti factory in downtown Phoenix um, for dinner and the second date, and I thought, I could tell that she just kind of wanted to get to the point. Bridget's kind of like that. How many know she just wants to get to the point, you know, the bottom line? And I could tell that with her, and so we just kind of shared really what we were looking for in terms of a, of a spouse. We'd been through the whole dating experiences and just had no more patience for that. Basically wanting to determine, you know, are we, is there really a connection here? And it was a very interesting conversation, a very candid and open conversation, and I remember sharing about, you know, ministry. She was asking about what I did. And, and, um, and at that time, I didn't know a lot about her in terms of her multi-talented skill set and, and all this thing. But she's basically saying, you know what, I, I don't have uh, some of the things that you may be looking for in a pastor's wife and so forth. And, and she says, I'm not really sure if I would be the kind of person that would really compliment your ministry. And I said, well, you know, Bridget, let me just tell you something. Really the most important facet of, of, of ministry for you or anybody for that matter that is important to me uh, as a pastor, what I'm looking for. I'm not really concerned about all your talents or gifts, what you can do, what you can't do. But there's two elements in ministry that are important that if you have these two elements, you will be successful in anything that we do in ministry. And she goes, what is that? And I said that you demonstrate a love for God and you demonstrate a love for people. And as I thought about it, she goes, well, I, I definitely can do that. I love God with all my heart. I'm not afraid to demonstrate that. And I really do love people. And I said, then you know what? You'll be successful in whatever ministry God called you to do. And I thought about that whole concept is, is that love, disciples, sin being our mission statement. And love this town really comes down to that is that we want to demonstrate in the church, in Banner Church, in the marketplace, in this area of Scottsdale, we want there to be a demonstration of a passionate group of 
people that love God with all of their heart. I mean, just having that, I mean, if we just did that, when people walk through the doors wanting to check out, I've had a few of the subs that have come in. It's like, wow, this is a weird place to have a church. Literally this last week, two people told me that this is really a strange place to have a church. And I said, exactly, that's why we're called here is to be in the marketplace. They go, this is so cool. I want to come to your, you know, your grand opening service. And I've had numerous people say that that are working on the building. I want to see what this is all about. I want to come to your first service that you have. And we're expecting a huge crowd in that. But if I could ask anything of the congregation that I would be the most concerned about is that we demonstrate a love for God and we demonstrate a love for the people that come through the door. If we do that, it will be a win. If we do that, it will be successful. If we do that, people's lives will be impacted. And when we're speaking about love this town, we're talking about demonstrating a love for God and a love for people. Not just saying it, but we're actually demonstrating in different ways. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks is how can we demonstrate that through our worship, through our actions, through the way that we connect with people is loving them unconditionally. And we see such incredible examples of that in scripture. And when I told Bridget on that second date and that, it just reassured her. And ever since that, and we got married, of course, that she has just demonstrates that. I love her passion and worship. I love her demonstration, love for God and her demonstration of the way she loves people. That is the key. And I believe this is what Jesus modeled to us specifically, and so powerfully he models this to us, and I wanted to speak to you this morning uh, out of uh, the book of Luke chapter 10, but before we get there, it's, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. But the love is our first and primary core value, and how many here know today that, that, uh, that the unfailing love of God is, is something that we can fully appreciate this is, is so core to who we are as a church. And the Bible is just full of these concepts and the statements of the unfailing love of God, the faithfulness of God. In the book of Psalms, there's really some incredible verses of, of scripture there that, that I, I just want to note before we get into the story about the, the Good Samaritan. But it says in Psalm 36, 5, you're unfailing, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. In other words, there's no limit. There's, there's no end to it. And your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. They tie those two concepts together. There's assurance there. Psalm 90, 14, look at this. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. If we could grasp anything this morning, if we could grasp the unfailing love of God, that he will always be there, he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, that he loves us with an unfailing, an unconditional love, no matter what, there is great security in that, and that would uphold our identity for a lifetime. God loves me, you may not, you may not like me, it doesn't matter, God loves me no matter what. And the love of God, I have to say, theologically, I don't think we can really fully describe it, but the love of God is beyond human understanding. It's spiritually discerned, this love of God. And in another Psalm 92, 2, it says, It's good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning and your faithfulness in the evening. I've thought about taking that verse and maybe putting it, putting it up on the wall by my bed so when I go to bed at night, I can just proclaim his faithfulness. When I wake up in the morning, I can proclaim his unfailing love in the morning just as David did. It's a great concept. And when we think about love this town, we have something to offer people that is really incredible 
in terms of the unfailing love of God. In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 27, we see the story of this good Samaritan. We've all read it, but every time I read it, I look and I see some truths in it that really are are just really great. And this morning I want to speak on that because it parallels what God has called us to do in the community where we are. Look at the first two verses in verse 25. One day an expert in religious law, and some translations talking about an attorney that stood up to test Jesus by asking this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? Or what does the word say? And how do you read it? And I just want to say here this morning that as a church and as a believer, that everything comes back to the word of God. Your opinion is okay, but really what's important here is what does the scripture say? What does the word of God say? And Jesus always brings people back to the word. What does the word say? You know it. I mean, you're, you're a leader. Of the, you know the religious law as well as anybody. And he takes this man right back. What does the law say? And how do you interpret it? How do you read it? The word of God is the basis. It's the foundation. It's the solution. Everything comes back to the word. And if it doesn't align with the word in our life, we probably don't want to adapt that. We don't want to walk in that path if it doesn't align with the word. And this is the problem with the world in which we live in today that People want to do everything on their own terms. I recently read an article. It was an interview with Oprah Winfrey, and she's been uh, with their, her partner, her boyfriend, for 31 years, and they're asking her, why have you never chosen to get married? There was a rumor going around that she was going to get married, and people were tweeting, evidently, when and where is the wedding? I want to come. It would be a huge event if Oprah Winfrey got married. I mean, tons of people would be excited about that and want to be a part. And she said, it's just a rumor. I'm not getting married. I'm perfectly happy. To be in the situation I'm in for 31 years, if I got married, we probably wouldn't be together if I got married. In other words, it would dissolve our relationship. But she said an article was interesting. It's a mindset, it's a philosophy, and a value, of, especially in the culture we live in today. She said, I would encourage everybody, from my heart to your heart, to live life on your own terms. To live your life on your own terms. In other words, you set the parameters, you set the standards for your life, you can do what you want to do on your terms. On my terms is, I don't want to get married even though it's an institution, it's biblical, it's right, and it's what God has designed for the health of a relationship and a family and so forth. We know all the values and, and, and everything of marriage, but she's just basically saying, live life on your own terms. And I would say to you this morning that we can choose our own terms because we have our free will, and we all have done it. We can choose our terms and how we want to live our life, but let me tell you something this morning, you can't choose your consequences. That's something nobody can choose, is, is the reaping the consequences of our choice, the terms that we choose for our life, there's, there's things, the consequences in reaping that the Bible talks about, we can't choose that. And that whole concept that living on terms, but if we live it on the terms of the word of God and the principles that the Bible sets forth, when we do that, we know that we become very successful and God will bless our life. Let me say that in, in obedience to the Lord and speaking about the word that I think is, is so important in this, I want us to, to, to read just a, a few more verses here, but before we do that, 
I want to say that the way that we love God and demonstrate him, say demonstrate a love for God and demonstrating a love for people. But our level of love will determine the level of obedience in our life. Do you realize that? I can think of every moment in my life where I was struggling with wanting my terms over God's terms or wanting my way over God's way or wanting my word over the word of God because it was either more convenient or I thought it would make my life more successful or better on that. But it really came down to like, you know what, I just need to surrender myself and obey what the word of God says and what God really has called me to do. Those are those moments where it really tests our life and our character. And I have to say to you, it's not out of the fear of all the consequences if I make the wrong decision that compels me. But I would tell you what really compels me to obey the Lord. It's the deep love that I have for him because I love him so much. I want to serve him. I want to obey him. It's based on love. And in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about this specifically saying, those who really love me will obey my commandments. When I was compelled to obey my parents, and my parents were not legalistic people, they gave us a lot of of flexibility and they raised me. My mom and dad weren't religious people at all. They loved God with all their heart and they demonstrated it in the home as well as in the church. I was fortunate enough to grow up in a home where my dad and mom, they just demonstrated a very pure love for God and they modeled that to us. But I had so much respect and regard for my parents. I had such a deep love for them. It compelled me to want to walk in obedience to their authority. In the same way with the Lord, I don't know how I can describe this. But when I fell in love with Jesus, when I got saved at nine years old, it was so powerful. It was so real. And it wasn't just that he had forgiven me of my sin and cleansed my life. It's like his presence was made known in my heart, and it was just so life-changing for me. I fell deeply in love with this Savior and this Master, and I knew that he loved me with an unfailing love. And the encounters that I grew up with it was the love of God that would just cause me to want to walk in obedience to his word, knowing that there was benefit in that, that I loved him. And I say that our level of love determines our level of obedience. People, I was just ministering to somebody recently out of town. And they're like, and they know me. I used to be their pastor. And they've just drifted out. They haven't gone to church for a couple of years. They've drifted away. And he's like, I'm surprised you're even meeting with me. He goes, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to church. I'm living in my old ways and my old lifestyle. And I just looked at him. I said, you know what, man, I, I still love you, you know, as a friend. And he goes, well, what should I do? And I said, you know what, I'm not even concerned that you go back to church, but you've lost your heart. I'm going to pray for you that you get your heart back. He goes, you don't, and he goes, I don't care if you go to church. But I, I, I want to challenge you to get your heart back with the Lord and just begin to experience his love and learn how to love Jesus again. And when you fall in love with him, you, all the other stuff will just come into place. You'll want to go to church. You'll want to fellowship with believers. But right now, this is a heart issue. And when I see Jesus walking along those roads and paths of his ministry and ministering to people, I never find one scripture where he says, you need to get in the synagogue every Sabbath. He never says that. He just ministers to their heart and he, he shows them of how much he loves them and that he's able to forgive them. Does he challenge them about their sin? Absolutely. He's told them many times, go and sin no more. 
He didn't overlook the sin in their life, but he brought such an element of love and grace to their life and just ministered to their heart. And it wasn't like, I'm going to get another person in the synagogue or the church or whatever. And whatever you love the most is what you will worship. Let me say again, whatever you love the most is the very thing that you will worship. In verses 29 through 32, this, or beginning with verse 27, it says, the man answered, you must love God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you're right, do this, and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead by the side of the road. And a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side and passed him by. This temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, and he also passed him by. These are the religious. These are the ones you would think would stop and love this guy. But then a despised Samaritan, use that word, I want you to remember that, a despised Samaritan. Jesus just didn't give this parable and just grab the you know, name out or whatever. There was a point behind this, but the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion, went to him, soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them, put him on a donkey, took him to an inn, where he could take care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins to take care of him. If the bill runs higher, I'll pay you more next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I wanted, when I read this, I was thinking and I remember a class that I had and they were talking about the Samaritans and where they came from and the Samaritans were considered half-breeds in the culture that was the Jews began to marry the Assyrians and out of that marriage they produced the, what they call the Samarians and they were, they were discriminated against. They had more racial tension and division against the Samarians than they did even the Gentiles. The Jews were not allowed to speak to the Sumerians. Do you realize that? Couldn't even speak to a Sumerian. We think about all the, the, the racial tension, division, even in our own nation, what we see on the news, especially recently. Well, it was alive and well during this time, and Jesus uses this Samaritan as an example of someone who's ministering to a Jew. You think about this. And I think it challenges us in a very powerful way. Jesus, in John chapter 4, we see another story where he encounters a Samaritan woman. It was a Samaritan village. They're walking through with the disciples. He's not supposed, as a Jew, even speak to a Samaritan. But yet he begins to speak to this woman at the well, saying, would you get me a drink of water? He goes, I could give you some water. If you drink it, you'll never thirst again. She goes, I want that kind of water. But he's not talking about the water out of the well, of course. And he says, well, go get your husband. He goes, I don't have a husband. And she said, you're right. You've been married five times, and the man you're living with now is not even your husband. Lord, I perceive you're a prophet. And he ministers to her. 
as a Jew, she doesn't realize he's the son of God, goes and runs to the village, tells all these Samaritans, this man told me everything about my life. They come, and it, the Bible talks about there was many Samaritans in that village that Jesus ministered to, uh, and it said that many of them believed in Jesus. There was conversions. Think about it. He's crossing over a cultural barrier here. The, the, the discrimination and the racial tension that is there. He, I mean, really, the Jews were some of the worst racists that you could possibly imagine. They wouldn't even speak to a Samaritan, but here's Jesus, a Jew, the Son of God, ministering to them. Not only that, they're converting. They're believing in Jesus. And they were so touched and transformed, they compelled Jesus to stay, and he stayed there for two days, and he taught them, and he ministered to them. And it gives us a great example in scripture. As a missionary, there was a principle that I used to teach and live by. It's conforming to the convictions of another culture without compromising your Christianity. Then you go into another culture. You, I was having this conversation with Henry the other night at the Deuce. And by the way, yo pros, some of you missed out, man. Tuesday night was so fun. And we were talking about the cultural things and how it's so important that we conform to the convictions of another culture without compromising our, you know, our Christianity or our, our convictions, but the way that we dress, the way that we talk, we cross over and really understand the way that other cultures and people groups, the way they think, the way they act, so that we can fully appreciate them and also minister to them and know how to love them effectively. That doesn't happen a lot in this nation. Everybody kind of just segregates to the group that they're comfortable with, the groups that they understand. But Jesus crossed over, and he conformed to the convictions of other cultures without compromising any of his beliefs whatsoever, and he did it in such a beautiful way and was able to love people in every town that he went to, the, 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 the Samaritan village and the Gentiles, the tax collectors, had him in his home. I mean, he was mingling with the worst of sinners, and, and the, the Jewish priests and the high priests would look at him and say, this guy is insane, he's demon-possessed to do this. But he just loved people. And he constantly demonstrated a love for God and a love for people. Think of all the excuses that probably some of us, all of us perhaps have had when we are going along a place and we see somebody that needs ministry or just needs to be loved, but we're in a hurry, we've got an assignment, we've got to get to a place. Here's some of the excuses that we can think of that are very common. In fact, Spurgeon, I was reading, he said that, I never knew a man refuse to help the poor who failed to give at least one admirable excuse. <laughs> this road is too dangerous for me to stop and help the man. He might be a decoy for an ambush, so I'm not going to do this. I've got to get to the temple and perform my service for the Lord. <laughs> I've got to get home and see my family. Someone should really help that guy. I don't know first aid. It's a hopeless case. I'm only one person and the job is just really too big. You know what, I'll just, I'll pray for him. He brought it on himself, he should have never been on such a dangerous road. Well, he never asked for help. But all these are just simply excuses. I never knew a man refused to help the poor to give at least one admirable excuse. And Jesus didn't give excuse. He just was led by the Spirit in these scenarios, in these situations, and he just loved people, 
and he demonstrated it to them fully. Who is my neighbor? I think Josh is going to elaborate on this. He's going to share more in this series with me as we team together. The Samaritans were a ministry group, as I said, that the Jews were racially divided against more than even uh, the Gentiles in that regard. But in verses 33 to 37, Jesus said, this is the person that you love. This is your neighbor. When we think about loving the community, we want to portray the nature of Jesus Christ. We want to be like the Samaritan who doesn't care if it's a Jew or their background or whatever. I don't care if the Jews don't speak to me. This Jewish man is laying there wounded and hurting And I have a responsibility before God and to mankind. It doesn't matter what the racial tension is or all of the division. We're just called to demonstrate a love for God and a love for people. And God is giving us opportunity where we don't have to look very hard or look very long to find people that we can minister to and pray with and help bring healing to their wounds in their life. And one of the things I thought about in this is that here's this Jewish man going along this road and he's not expecting for anything to happen. He gets robbed, stripped of his clothes. He's beaten. He's just left there, basically left there laying to to die. Did he deserve to be wounded in that way? Absolutely not. It was unjust It was unrighteous, it was wrong. And I thought about the believers in the church, including myself, where some of the deepest wounds that have been inflicted on my own heart and my own life and and me emotionally, it's where it's like, I didn't see it coming. It's like, man, it just kind of came out of nowhere. A betrayal, something that was said, something that somebody made a promise and didn't keep it. Somebody lied to me. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, but the the bottom line is it's like you don't have to be exposed or looking for it or expecting it. It's just called life. And every one of us sitting in this room today has the scars, perhaps, or even open wounds in their life of things that have happened to them. And you could beat yourself up and think, what did I do to deserve this? Did I do something wrong? Was I in the wrong place at the wrong time? No, I mean, you could just be doing everything right and still be wounded. And I think that the second thing about the wounds that is so important is that people that probably are inflict some of the greatest and the multiple wounds in their life are the ones who are on the front lines. Who is that on the front line? The believers that are praying, the believers that are serving like you, the believers that are witnessing and ministering, the believers that are are loving unconditionally their neighbors. We're challenging you to do here today that the enemy will target those especially, and I don't know any soldier that has gone to the front lines to do battle against the enemy, and they're, they're literally like the vanguards, the first ones to go to battle before everybody else, and they're, they're in that position that they don't come back. A legitimate warrior, a legitimate soldier will come back from the battle, and they've got wounds. Not because they did anything wrong. It's just because they've been fighting 
and wounds are inflicted upon those people. And I think if I, there's someday I'm going to do a series on healing the wounds of our life because many of the wounds go unhealed and it causes a lot of the issues that we have. And, and um, I, I hear this so often as a pastor. I've, I've got this relative or a friend or somebody I know that they've been wounded in the church. They've been wounded by a spiritual leader and they want nothing to do with the organized church anymore. I mean, I can't, I, probably a week doesn't go by that I don't hear that. And it's, it's a great tragedy. It's unfortunate that churches have become these places where wounds are inflicted and even inflicted by spiritual leaders. It's the worst kind. It's somebody I really trusted and looked up to and, and admired. But I want to say to you this morning that it's, it's like this across our world today. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect leader. Our eyes have to obviously stay on Jesus. But what do we do with the wounds? And I think that the Good Samaritan is a story here that here's someone that is least expected, somebody that I'm not even allowed to speak to that comes along, and he takes two things that he pours on this wound, oil and wine. And the oil is symbolic of the power of the Holy Spirit and there's a transforming quality about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that the anointing of oil, it's speaking of the presence and the power of the Spirit of God. And they take in literally olive oil, even today in some countries they'll use that to, to soothe wounds. It has tremendous medicinal properties. And then they take the wine, which has an element of alcohol, which will disinfect the wound as well. And they put wine on the wound. They're both legitimate sources of healing uh, to a wound. In a spiritual manner, this is what Jesus has come to do with us. He brings his blood, which is symbolic of the wine and the cup, and through the blood of Jesus, there's that healing of the wounds. And then he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like oil, and he says, I've come to set the captives free and to heal the brokenhearted. Dear, would you come? As I thought of this message, I've thought that we live in a community where we don't have to look very far and wide to know that people that seemingly have it all together and they're successful, and, but some of those people in their hearts, so some of the ones that have been the most deeply wounded have never dealt with their wounds. In the church, sad to say, is, is a pastor, and so oftentimes that some of the people that we contend with in the church that only get so close and they keep a distance and they're like, it's a miracle that I'm even here, you know, to be in a, an organized church in this building or whatever. And, and it's because of wounds that haven't been nurtured and healed. And, and I think even as spiritual leaders, a lot of times a spiritual leader would withdraw themselves from a congregation. It's like, I'm going to preach, but I'm not going to get close to the people. Why? Because I'm not going to be hurt again. I took a risk, I got betrayed, I got hurt. Spiritual leaders are probably the worst. It's like, I love the ministry, I love God, but it's like in Bible school, I remember them telling us, don't get close to your people because you'll get hurt. And I thought, well, I don't know how else to do it. You know, I, for me, it's, it's not enough just to preach a sermon on Sunday morning. I, I want to have a relationship with my sheep and my people that I'm called to. 
Is there the risk of wounds? Absolutely. Will it ever end? No, it won't. <laughs> What's the answer? The answer is, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Because see, Jesus is the ultimate Good Samaritan that knows no color of skin or race or background or culture. It doesn't matter to Jesus that as he's walking down the path or the street or whatever, I represent myself as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And I don't care. As we go into this community, what people have been involved in, what they've gone through, that I just know that there's some wounded people that need the wine and the oil applied to their wounds. And God has called us as a church to do that. Love this town. We love the town. We just, we love people. And in the love, we, we've got the source to bring healing and life restoration, transformation once again to people's lives. I would be so vulnerable to say this morning that there are still wounds of my past that have yet to be completely healed. They're still in process. There's still those moments where the Lord would say, allow me to pour my wine and oil and to soothe those wounds until they're completely healed. It doesn't always just happen instantaneously in my life. You know, some of the wounds are so deep and deeper wounds take more time. We've got a couple of nurses sitting here in the room. You understand that. And I kept hearing the nurses at Barrow say to my dad, who had never faced a major medical crisis in 81 years of his life and he's laying there and he can't walk and and you know he come out of the, sur the surgery he's crying just the pain and it, it was just it broke my heart and the doctors and nurses just kept saying Mr. Metcalf it's just going to take time to heal you've, you've just got to give it time for the healing process I wish we could speed it up but we can't the wounds are deep it takes time And I think this is the thing that I love about the gospel. Is that God comes to us as a healer, as a restorer, as a redeemer, the Bible says. And he redeems every wound that we just expose to him. I love the story when bring the man before Jesus that wanted to be healed and he his arm was just, it was lame and it was crippled and he's hiding it. Jesus asked him to extend it before he could heal him. And when my boys were little and they would get an owie or hurt themselves and it was like they were going to die, just a couple drops of blood coming off their finger or something, you know, and Jensen especially, I'll say this, he's in college now. <laughs> I mean, he loved Band-Aids just loved me, you know, putting band-aids on there, thinking this is going to be it, you know. But when I would have to clean it out before I put the band-aid on, that's when they would scream bloody murder. Well, I, like, I got to clean it. I got to apply, you know, got to soothe it with the right stuff here before I can put the band-aid on. It's like, no, don't touch it. You ever had that one of your kids? No, don't touch it. It hurts. 
just hide it. That's what we do with wounded hearts. We cover up and we hide it. And the Lord is just saying, I, I just extend it out to me. And when that man did that, it was embarrassing. Everybody in that room could see this shriveled up, crippled hand of him. We see it. And he healed him. It's just an act of faith. And some of those wounds we've been holding on to a little bit too long. And the Lord is just saying, let me apply the oil and the wine and I'll heal it. And you know, for us to be effective in Scottsdale, if we're not healed, it's gonna be hard for us to minister healing to somebody else. It's really hard. The more I get healed, the more really I have to offer my community because I can reproduce what I've experienced. I teach what I know, but I reproduce what I've experienced. There's a big difference. And I've experienced healing and I can reproduce that in other people. I close with this. There's a great movie years ago, it's a lot, a lot of years ago. It's called The Doctor. I don't know if any of you remember it. It's about this arrogant doctor that had no compassion or mercy for patients. It was just another number and another paycheck. And then he went through this awful ordeal of cancer. He had this cough. They found out cancer in his throat. And he went through all the horror ordeal of going into surgery and all that. And by being a patient, it gave him much more compassion and mercy as a doctor. And the movie ends, it shows him, this man going in for surgery in his heart, and he's just stroking the guy's head. It's like, you're gonna be okay. And it's like, it, it changed his life. It's like, it wasn't until he was wounded and healed that he could really show the mercy and the compassion to his patients. And so this morning, I wanted to just make a call to some of you, and some of you have been wounded in battle because you've gone to the front lines. Some of you have been wounded in other places, just going along the road and say, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't even see it coming. I, I know, I, I get that. And I was robbed and attacked. I know. And that's why Jesus came. That's just why he came. That's why he died. That's why he shed his blood. That's why he provides us the wine and the oil to heal. And so that we can go out and demonstrate love and healing. And we can demonstrate that to a lost and dying world. But he needs to heal us first. Amen. Jesus, I pray this morning that in this moment that it really help us to see of what you desire to do in us so that you can do something through us. And Lord, as we go into this series and talk more about who is our neighbor and how do we love them and how do we reach out to a, a community that's lost and dying, how do we do that, Lord? It begins with our own heart and our own life. And if you're here this morning and there's a wound that you want deeper healing with, you want God to minister to you, I, I wanted to ask you to stand at your seat, just stand where you are. You don't have to come off, but just, just stand up. And 
I'm gonna pray a special prayer for you, for God just to do a deeper work. If you've been on the front lines and there's been wounds inflicted by the enemy you've been fighting, God wants to bring deep healing to you as well. He's the good Samaritan here today. Just stand up here this morning. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just minister. Can wait just a moment. Father, I thank you and I praise you this morning that you would bring life and healing. Lord, pour out the wine and the oil on those here today. Bring healing and life. Renewal, we pray. 